0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, January the 24th, 2023. And the news is rather depressing, as so often. dominated by stories of political scandal and corruption. Both Joe Biden and Mike Pence have been caught with classified documents being stored in their homes. Meanwhile, um, in Ohio, the Republican Party, or the local party, has been accused of taking $60 million in bribes as a corruption trial opens overseas. uh, the Ukrainian uh, President uh, Vladimir Zelensky has removed a whole group of top officials in terms of trying to contain a corruption scandal. All over the world, corruption seems to be dominant. In Vietnam, there's an anti-corruption purge, um, and according to the National Review, uh, Middle East in the Middle East, corruption is widespread. One man who's given a great deal of thought to corruption, was on the show a little more than a year ago, Frank Vogel. Um, He's the author of a really important and interesting new book, The Enablers, How the West Supports Kleptocrats and Corruption, Endangering Democracy. He actually uh, called the stuff on Ukraine uh, back in April of last year. He talked about Zelensky's next headache, money, Um, And that headache now is perhaps metastasized into something more painful. Frank is joining us from Washington, D.C. Frank, um, is the news on government corruption as depressing as it sounds, or, or, or might we be encouraged with the fact that at least we're reading stories about corruption these days?
1: it's depressing. <laughs> uh, I wish we could say it wasn't. Uh, yes, we are reading a lot of stories about it. But the real truth is that the stories we are reading are just the tip of the iceberg of the scale of corruption that abounds in international trade, international finance, in politics in so many countries. And um It's good that the US is doing more domestically to root out domestic political corruption. I think we're seeing more trials, we're seeing more allegations, indictments than we have in many years. But um, the US remains the primary repository of dirty money from all over the world, uh, including, of course, from Russia and Ukraine, China, and many other countries. Not a
0: good picture. It's certainly not a good picture, and Frank, some people might suggest that we so to speak in the United States have no right to talk about it. You've written about Donald Trump uh, and his big ripoff, his big lie, the, the, the deep corruption of his culture and his um, strategy even for raising money. You suggest that democracy has been on the line for a while in the United States. Do, and again, I use this word carefully, do we in the United States have any right to be talking about corruption when it's so extensive within the United States?
1: I think, first of all, yes, we do. And what has really changed, I think, and I would now put it, you know, maybe the last 10, 15 years, is that many um, US political leaders are willing to acknowledge we have a corruption problem here. And it's so interesting that the Justice Department, for example, is doing more in looking at domestic corruption. As you know, uh, a top FBI uh, officer has been indicted in New York. He will be also on trial facing charges tomorrow in Washington, DC. A man called Charles McConigle, uh, who was directly involved in trying to root out Russian corruption uh, and corruption from overseas. And he was allegedly on the take. So we are doing more about it. Our political leaders are talking more about it and about the fact that we have to clean up our own house. But what they're also doing, and I think this is very, very important, is they're saying corruption is a factor, a contributing factor in the increasing clash between authoritarian governments and democracies. And um, we need to look at it as a national security issue and not just as one of corporate crime or criminality generally. And I think this is a very important uh, recognition by, by the way, by Republicans and Democrats alike. Um, So we saw, for example, the Congress very recently increased the budget of the U.S. Treasury's Anti-Money Laundering Enforcement Division, um, which was a bipartisan decision.
0: Yeah, you speak about bipartisanship, um, Frank, but the, the finger is always pointing in the other camp when you look at the headlines today about Biden and Pence, no doubt Progressives will say, well, Biden didn't know what he was doing and Pence and Trump are corrupt and Fox News will say the reverse. In your experience, are both parties as guilty of kleptocracy and corruption in the United States as the other?
1: If you take a longer term view, probably the answer is yes. And the reason um, I say it actually in in the conclusion of my book is There's just too much money in politics. Uh, When you've got billions and billions of dollars going into campaigns, then inevitably there will be dirty deals. There will be opaque transactions. There will be efforts to undermine the whole system um, through money, buying interest, buying influence trying to influence policies through bribery and corruption. And sadly, uh, the scale of this money in politics in America today is so big that it infests both political parties. And it would be really, I think, uh, inaccurate to say, oh, yes, uh, one political party is particularly worse than another. Um obviously Donald Trump was a special case when it came to the presidency. Uh, I think, frankly, uh, an unprecedented case. But more generally, to answer your question, we have too much money in politics. And and that, unfortunately, is a hugely corrupting factor.
0: Frank, the law seems to me, and and you know the law a lot better than I do, seems to be so gray in this area. You talk about paying for influence. The lobbying system essentially legalizes that, doesn't it, in the United States?
1: Yes, but, you know, it's out of control. Um, There used to be a time when we had some sense of how many lobbyists there were in Washington, that they had to register uh, no longer. I mean, you've got, uh, I don't know, maybe thousands of lawyers in this town who call themselves uh, legal counsel. And what do they do? They're essentially representing all manner of special interests in going to see members of Congress, whining and dining members of Congress, and in fact, acting as lobbyists. And they are not registering as lobbyists. Um, we, uh, we have lost control of that. We were for a time a bit of a precedent, a bit of a model for other countries. Um, Some, the European Union tried to build a register of lobbyists like the U.S. used to have. We still do, but it used to be effective. Uh, And that register has turned out to be a farce in Europe. And there is now the biggest single corruption case taking place in the European Parliament, uh, where the vice president of the parliament has been arrested uh where money from uh morocco uh amongst other countries uh has been qatar has been used to bribe parliamentary officials so you you know we're talking about a universal problem
0: um frank Russia, of course, when one thinks corruption, kleptocracy is top of the list. Um, you've written extensively about it, about the sanctioning of Russian oligarchs. You've written about the kind of kleptocratic system that um, uh, that, is, that is being created by Putin. To what extent are we living in a world of KGB crony capitalism?
1: The Russian invasion of Ukraine uh exposed something that was sort of known amongst lots of specialists but really didn't hit the headlines. And that was that the Russian state which has a direct control over Russian business and the so-called oligarchs, the richest businessmen, it acts basically uniformly when it comes to trying to disrupt, politics and security in many foreign countries, including, of course, the United States. And one of the most amazing stories that really hasn't got the headlines, but it will, uh, was that a, the U.S. Justice Department brought an indictment after years of research that everybody knew was going on uh, into a Danish bank, Danske Bank. Uh, what had Danske Bank done? It through a tiny branch in Estonia, in the Baltics, had laundered, wait for it, $160 billion. That's billion, $160 billion for mostly Russian clients.
0: Yeah, I remember that story.
1: Yeah, but into New York banks. We knew that Danske Bank had been involved in money laundering. What we didn't know until very recently, until this indictment came down, that was a fully $160 billion came directly into the U.S. And it came through four New York banks. The Justice Department hasn't mentioned which ones. But you could bet that a lot of that money was directly or indirectly controlled by the Kremlin and the KGB and oligarchs working very, very closely with uh, the KGB and the Kremlin. And this is a massive amount of
0: money. It certainly is. uh, Frank, enough bad news. Are there models, political models, systems which we might try to emulate? Singapore comes to mind. It's not a democracy. But the whole premise of the Singapore, and what you would call it, a a soft authoritarianism, a technocracy, is built on anti-corruption, isn't it?
1: To a considerable extent. The top officials, the senior officials in Singapore, I believe, are the highest paid public officials in the world. Lee Kuan Yew, who was the sort of the father of the uh, modern Singapore authoritarian system, said, I'm gonna pay top officials, technocrats, very good salaries because that should make them think twice about taking bribes. And if they do, they will be very severely punished. And and actually system, very
0: severe in Singapore means very severe.
1: Absolutely, and the system has worked, uh, but it's a small city-state, and it's very very difficult to compare Singapore to uh, to the United States, to Western Europe, and so on. I think that we have to we have to be careful of putting this in a very important context, and the context is this: I believe. Most businessmen in the United States are honest. I believe most public servants want to do the right thing. The stories that we are learning about, thanks mostly to whistleblowers and to really first-class investigative journalism, and that's improved a lot, by the way. um, The stories we learn about tend to paint a very, very bad picture that we can tend to overstate when looking at our system as a whole. I think the democracies that particularly Western Europe, Scandinavia and, and in North America uh, have a lot going for them. So the corruption that we see, which is very worrying and which I think in many respects is increasing because of weaknesses in law enforcement. We have the rules, we have the laws. We don't have the enforcement demand. We don't, we don't have the pressure on the government to enforce an anti-corruption to the degree that is necessary. But we should put this in context. I think our democracies are relatively speaking quite good models of anti-corruption, clearly huge scope for improvement.
0: So what can we do? What can be done in 2023? You know, talking about taking money out of politics uh, is certainly in 2023 is not realistic. What can be done in the next 12 to 18 months to begin to address all these issues?
1: First of all, I think we need a bigger, broader discussion led by our political leaders about the need for integrity in politics. You mentioned this crazy story about Biden's papers and Pence's papers, and of course there's Trump's papers. what people worry about when they read those sort of things is really about integrity in politics. Uh, are our politicians really serving the public interest all the time, or do they have uh, other agendas? We need a good discussion about integrity of in politics. Well, no one's going to, I mean,
0: it's like arguing against apple pie, Frank. Everyone's going to say we need more integrity. Where's well, the debate?
1: Well, what I was going to say, but if they're going to do that, then they have to actually put the money behind what they're saying. What do I mean by that? We need much more money going into the Justice Department and the Treasury Department and the Commerce Department in anti-corruption work. We have the laws, but we are not enforcing them nearly enough. And that raises the question, why? And I would argue special interests, starting with some of the biggest banks and the auditing firms and the real estate firms have taken a great interest in making sure that enforcement is lax. We need to change that. We can, if we have the political will to do it. Don't forget at the moment, uh, a company can a lawyer can come along to a real estate company and say, I want to buy this $20 million apartment in Manhattan for a company that is registered in, I don't know, South Dakota, the real estate uh, agent will not need to ask under law who is the real owner of the of the company in South Dakota. He'll do the transaction and the owners could very well be Russian gangsters. We need to change that, we can change that. So when I talk about our leaders talking about integrity, I mean that they talk about it and then they do something such as enforcing the laws and modifying the regulations to capture the real estate industry, to capture the art industry, uh, where at so many auctions, pick, famous paintings are going for millions and millions of dollars and nobody knows who was the seller and who was the owner, uh, the new owner, the buyer, because the auction houses are not under any requirement to reveal that sort of information. We need transparency, and integrity. And we know how to improve things, but it's going to take budget resources. And that means curbing the power of the special interests who do not want enforcement. That's domestically. And if I may just add one more thing, Andrew, internationally, President Biden has his second so-called summit for democracy, which takes place at the end of March. Central issue again is going to be international corruption. And this time, this administration and the other governments it's invited have to put on the table actionable agendas, not just rhetoric. They have to say, we will do this and we will put these resources behind it. And um, we'll see if they do. I'm a bit skeptical, frankly. Uh, We'll see if they do. And in that regard, the latest crisis over corruption in Ukraine may be a stimulus, finally, for some of the Western countries uh, to say, OK, enough with this. Uh, we really go- have to get much, much tougher. Zelensky, but I believe, wants to do the right thing in anti-corruption. But again, it would really, really help if we provided him with the kind of investigative tools and support, and staff, frankly, that he needs to root out corruption in his own government.
0: Frank, you you said something quite shocking. You suggested that there were banks out there who are actively trying to fight regulation because they are corrupt themselves, or at least they're enabling corruption. I've always, Deutsche Bank, for example, got a terrible press in, in terms of its relationship with Donald Trump. Do you have banks in mind? I mean, are you talking abstractly or concretely here? Because it's a shocking thing to say. You talk about integrity in politics. What about integrity in banking? Bankers should obey the law as well, shouldn't they?
1: Yes. And that raises, you know, takes me back to the, what I said to you earlier. I mean, how can four banks in New York take in $160 billion of money? From Which an- banks were they? Well the justice department hasn't disclosed who they are.
0: Do you have any sense and are they going to get are they going to get investigated on this?
1: Well I should hope so but I'm very skeptical if they actually will. And why are the banks let's let's be very clear about this. The lobbyists for the banks come in the, to the discussions from a point of view of saying the less regulation of banking the better. And they believe for example, they opposed lots of the provisions of the so-called Dodd-Frank Act after the uh, financial crisis in 2008-2009 because they didn't want to be constrained in the type of activities they could do. So they're not coming in and saying, hey, we're, we're opposed to money, law, uh, money laundering rules or things like that. What they are saying is just give us less regulation. Let's let, have, trust us more. God knows why we should do that. Because all of the banks that you could think of, almost all of the biggest banks you can think of, have at one time or another been caught in major international corruption or money laundering cases. And it's the incentives in the banking system and in our whole financial system are based on short-term profit maximization in order to boost share prices and boost bonuses. And when that is the incentive, across the financial sector, then what's gonna happen? People are gonna take risks because they don't think they're gonna get caught and all sorts of bad things happen as a result. You mentioned earlier the Goldman Sachs case. That was just one. Danske Bank was another. BNP Paribas of France was another. uh, The
0: thing thing that's so shocking is that the banks take our best graduates from Georgetown, where you are in D.C., and Harvard and Yale and Stanford. Our smartest and supposedly most responsible kids go into banking. Why isn't there more intuitive morality when it comes, for example, to that case you brought up earlier about the $160 billion um, being sent into the United States from the bank in Estonia? Isn't it a moral responsibility of the bankers when they're taking this money to figure out where it's coming from? hundred and eighty well, billion dollars coming from an Estonian bank would inevitably raise the alarm bells, wouldn't it?
1: It's not a moral, res- not only a moral responsibility. It's a legal responsibility. There are requirements. Uh, yeah, I mean, are they
0: required? Would a bank take in that money from the Estonian bank? Is there a legal requirement they understand where the money is coming from?
1: Of course, and they're not doing it. And and to the and what they do is they say, oh, here's a whole a lot of money coming over the transom from some Russian interest. We don't really know who will send a report to the Treasury Department that there's a suspicious transaction, but they'll still go ahead with the transaction. And when the Treasury Department gets hundreds of thousands of these reports of suspicious transactions, it's overwhelmed, totally, totally overwhelmed. Uh, the Department of the Treasury that looks after sanctions and looks after compliance and money laundering has a total budget, which, as I said, has been increased this year. But the new budget is still less than two hundred million dollars. And a conservative estimate that I've made, and it's probably far too low, is that we're talking about over six hundred billion of dirty money coming into the U.S. every year. So. With the tiny enforcement staff, they get all these suspicious reports. The banks say, oh, look, we're in compliance. Look, we've filed these reports. But the fact of the matter is that they're not being followed up in the way they should.
0: So we need um, to come back to this. We're not going to see massive investment in the American state, for better or worse. They can barely even have a functional IRS, let alone a Department of Treasury. Isn't the response, isn't the, the fix to address the banks that... The well, directors, the, the people who run these banks, to force them to be more morally accountable, they know where this. They they know exactly what the problem is here, better than certainly better than well, I do. As probably as well as you do.
1: Sure, and and the top guys are extremely good at giving very good speeches about. Right at places
0: like Davos. I mean, it's
1: right. Uh, but. And they give
0: TED Talks and they go to Davos and they all read the New York Times and feel very virtuous and yet they are greasing this.
1: After the financial crisis of 2008-2009, which saw massive fraud by the banks with the whole subprime crisis, the leading central bankers of the world came out with a very important report said there has to be cultural change in the banks. And when central bankers say something like that, the bankers sort of at least sort of nod their head and, and listen, but nothing has changed. At the same time, let's be quite, you know, candid and honest and open about this. Uh, our, polit- our political leaders, Who have the ability to make change. If the banks are not going to change voluntarily, then we can impose regulations uh, and enforce them to make change. Our political leaders in that respect are just failing. They are not taking this nearly as seriously as they should. And the only silver lining here is that because particularly because of the russian invasion of ukraine but other factors other events as well it is gradually dawning on more and more members of congress that these issues relate to national security when the kgb through oligarchs and others is pouring money into our political system to disrupt it and the systems of italy and germany and elsewhere we need to be very concerned from a security and a democracy point of view. And when you talk to somebody like Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, for example, who has been leading the charge on this, um, the reason is not because he's too worried about, you know, uh, a bad banker here or there, he's worried about the whole national security system and the threats to our democracy. And we have to see this all as a package. Uh, changing the culture of the banks, changing the culture of the auditing companies, the biggest ones, or the law right, and they've
0: also been indicted. What about the role of technology here, Frank? We've done many shows, not as yeah. many recently, but many shows in the past with people like Don Tapscott about blockchain and transparency and accountability. Is technology one of the problems or one of the fixes? Certainly crypto well, is... Now well, being so profoundly undermined uh, from, yeah. from so many different scandals, and I know the Russians are championing crypto because it enables them to launder money. Well, so, so, do you see do you see they, they, t- new technology they, yeah. as the problem or a fix or both?
1: Oh, it definitely could be a fix. Um, there, two years, well, a year and a half ago. The uh, Corporate Transparency Act was passed by Congress, bipartisan support, and the regulations have now been approved by the U.S. Treasury. And what does that do? It says that all of these offshore holding companies and the South Dakota and Delaware holding companies where you could never find out who the real owners are, it says now regulations are going to force those companies to reveal who their true owners are. Now, when you've got several million of those companies, the only way you can enforce is by applying really good artificial intelligence systems and algorithms to to go right through all the data, millions and millions of pieces of data, in order to search for basically well-known crooks, oligarchs, and others uh, who may actually be the beneficial owners of those companies and if we apply that technology uh and there's a great hope that we will and by the way the same systems are now being introduced across europe uh we can make a difference here um it'll take time though but certainly good, Certainly. well frank let's end now. with
0: a lot of people are going to be a lot of our viewers and listeners are going to be thinking frank's doing a good job you're a brave man uh, not the safest thing you're doing um and when we've had interviews with other very brave people particularly people standing up to putin what can ordinary people do we're all busy we got our own lives our own issues but what can people do to address this because it's such a huge issue and it doesn't get the kind of media that it should get
1: no and you know it doesn't and i'm gonna at risk of sounding repetitive and boring
0: I mean, everyone needs to read your book, The Enablers, that's given, and other books on kleptocracy that we've had on the show.
1: Of course, but people need to write to their congressmen and say, approve the budgets for meaningful anti-corruption, anti-money laundering enforcement. The word enforcement has to be right up there. Congressmen and senators need to hear from the public that corruption is something very much on their mind, and that if they need to pass the the necessary budgets to provide our justice department and our treasury with truly the ability to get on more even terms with incredibly sophisticated lawyers, bankers, auditors who represent uh, the kleptocrats of the world. Uh, By the way, Those kleptocrats and those government uh, officials and those oligarchs who are stealing public funds in Russia, in South Africa, in Egypt, and many other countries, they're not using crypto. These people are so concerned about the safety and security of their investments, they would rather put the money in U.S. treasury bonds than in Bitcoin. Mm. So what are they doing? They are using all manner of holding companies, nesting holding companies from offshore and so on as the vehicles to do this. And they are paying enormous amount of sums of money to the enablers, of which this man, McCulloch, who's just been indicted in New York, you know, was on the payroll, it turns out, of Oleg Deripaska, one of the richest oligarchs uh, from Russia and a very close associate of Putin's. So, the public at large needs to, needs to really get right to the co- members of Congress, their senators, and say, enforce, get the budget money to enforce existing anti-money laundering and anti-corruption laws. It's as, it's as straightforward as that. Let's not get technical about blockchain and so on. Let's focus absolutely on giving these authorities the resources that they need.